we're going to talk about this morning is going to be, it's going to be pretty heavy. It's not an easy text to go through, but one of the things that I like going through Scripture is there's things that are great, they're easy to preach, and then there's times when you get into certain passages of the Bible, it's just really difficult, and it's really hard. And so that's kind of where we're at this morning. So before we jump into anything, let's just go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for these people. God, I thank you for those that have come in here for the first time. And God, maybe they're just trying to check this whole Jesus thing out. Maybe they're lost. Maybe they don't know you. Or God, maybe they do know you, but they've just been dead in their faith. God, I pray that you would save people, that you would rejuvenate people. And God, I pray that this morning, that ultimately, um, God, we would leave here different. We would leave here changed. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you have a Bible with me, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Or what, well, the cool thing that I saw actually last week is when my dad was up here preaching, he said, if you could turn uh, to uh, Ecclesiastes, did I say Ephesians? Sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. When my dad said that, I saw like this like huge light go on in the audience. Everybody just opened up their phones and there was all these lights going on. So if you do not know, there is an app called YouVersion. You can download that. You can read the Bible. And if you don't like to read, here's the cool thing about the app. It'll actually read it to you. So you don't have an excuse. Um, so anyway, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And what we're going to find here, before I read this, starting in verse uh, 1 through 3, we're going to find that Solomon has some pretty big problems with God. He has some big issues with God. He's got some things that he just doesn't really understand. He doesn't understand why God operates a certain way. And if I had to bet, I would bet some of the questions that Solomon has about Jesus, some of us have the same problems and some of us have the same questions. So without further ado, let's go ahead and read it. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, picking up in verse 1. And it says this, Again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. He's saying, again, I saw that there was many, there was much pain that men and women deal with. There's much pain. He says, I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. He says, I saw people in sorrowful times, in dark times, in difficult seasons, and there was nobody to come along them and help them through that journey. He says, the oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless. So I concluded that the dead, listen to this, this is crazy, that the dead are better off than the living. He said the world is so painful, there's so much sorrow, there's so much hurt in the world, it's better to just be dead so you don't have to experience any of that. Then he goes even further, he said, but most fortunate of all those who are not even yet born, for they have not seen evil that is done under the sun. This is a heavy, heavy, heavy verse. And one of the things that I started thinking about um, when Solomon starts questioning these things, basically what he's saying is, God, there's so much pain, there's so much oppression, there's so much sorrow, there's so much hurt in the world, and I just, I don't understand. I don't understand why certain people have to go through certain things, and I started noticing this even in my own life, because as a pastor, I am constantly surrounded by sorrow. Constantly surrounded by grief and hardships and pain and counseling and, and people that are just walking through difficult times. And often the questions that I get are often questions I have no idea how to even respond. Now, let me give you a few. And these are legitimate questions like, my husband is leaving me and I have three kids. What do I do? How do you answer that question? That's not a question that you just go, well, you know what, you just need to read Matthew 6 and you'll be great. That's not what you do. That's a deep, sorrowful, hurtful, painful situation. Or, or what about this? Hey, I've been sick for a really long time. When's God going to heal me? 
When, when, when's God going to take this uh, away from me? Or maybe for some of us, we go, hey, man, I got this sin that I've just been wrestling with, and I have been begging and pleading to God for him to just take this away from me. And it seems like no matter how much I read my Bible, no matter how much I pray, no matter how much I seek counsel, no matter what I do, I seem to continuously fall back into the same slump that I've been so desperately trying to get out of. And I start to think about this text, start to think about Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 1 through 3, and I start to look at Solomon's questions, and he's asking God, why all this oppression, why all this pain? And then when you get questions like this, it kind of starts to make sense, right? Have you ever been at a place in your life where you're kind of like, God, why am I dealing with this? Or let me put it real simple for you. Maybe I've, I've had a lot of people ask me this, like, man, I've gone to church my entire life. I've served God faithfully my entire life. Why me? Why me? I'll give you a, a personal example. Like, for instance, uh, many of you know my dad. He was here last week preaching, and many of you kind of know his circumstance. He's been battling with cancer for about four and a half years now. And I often think, okay, here's a dad who has literally not only pretty much taught me everything that I know, um, on top of that, he's one of my best friends. And so each time I go eat lunch with him or I sit down with him, the thought often crosses my mind, like, is this going to be the last time? Is this going to be the last conversation? Is this going to be the last lunch or the last meal or, or whatever? And you start to look at sorrow and pain and you put it into perspective and you realize people legitimately have things that they go through to which they don't have the answers. People often deal and people often struggle with things in life to which they do not have the answers. So, the first problem that Solomon has with God is this, is he's going, God, why does depression and pain exist? Why does it exist? And the second problem we're about to read is in verse 4. He says, not only why does pain exist, but God, why are we all so broken? Why, why are we all so broken? And we're going to pick it up in uh, chapter 4, verse 4. And then he says this, then I observe that most people are motivated to success because they are envious of their neighbor." Most people are driven to do what they do because they are jealous. So here's what Solomon is trying to say. The clothes that you're wearing right now are not because you have to wear them, but because hopefully you put them on because you could impress somebody. Right? The, the car that you have or that fancy luxury car, like you don't necessarily need, necessarily need it, but you also don't feel bad when people give you compliments like, man, that's a nice car. Like, oftentimes, subconsciously, we don't realize it, but we do things because we're envious of our neighbor. We do things to impress people. At the center of our hearts, we want to be noticed, we want to be central, we want to be the focus of attention. Right? We want to walk into a place and we want people to notice us. And let me, you know how I know this? Um, because many of you right now, whether you want to um, admit it or not, summer is about two and a half months away. And the only reason that you're hitting up the gym right now is because you want to look good in that bathing suit. Right? That's the only reason you're going. Because you're like, man, I'm about to wear some short shorts. I'm about to take my shirt off. And I want to look good out during summer. Right? Like there's this crazy thing that happens with gyms. The first of the year, like, bam, they start making money. Then what happens? 
that people all the way, they slide all the way down, and then the summer happens, and it rolls back around again. Why? Because people know that they're about to go to water parks, about to go to beaches, they're about to go to all these things. And the only reason that you're working out, and the only reason that you're putting time and effort into that is because you want to look good so other people can notice you. I'm not saying that working out, I'm not saying that all these things are wrong, but the deeper motive behind it, why are we doing it? <coughs> want people to notice you. You want to stand out. You want to be the center of attention. So let's dive a little bit deeper into what Solomon's talking about in verse 4. Here's what he's saying. How can you handle the weightier things of this life like pain, sorrow, suffering, depression? How can you deal with those things when you're so caught up in petty, meaningful, meaningless things like being envious or jealous of your neighbor? Like, how can you deal with the weightier things of life and really be set free from brokenness and pain and struggle when your mind and your attention and your affections are all on little things that don't last, that don't really matter? The truth is, when everybody wants to be the center of the universe, nobody cares about others. When you want to be the focus of attention, nobody cares about other people. So Solomon's going to say two things in verse 5 that we really need to take note of. This is verse 5. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 5. It says, Fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. And yet, better to have one handful with questions than to have handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. So here's the first thing that happens. Many people see all this pain, they see all this suffering, they see all this hurt in the world. And they do one of two things. The first thing they do is they deny God altogether. Which I don't, I don't necessarily think that's the case for many of us here. It is for some. Like some of us look at all this brokenness. We look at all this pain. We look at everything going on around the world. And we declare there's no way that a loving God would allow all of this to happen. There's no way that a loving God would allow so much pain, so much suffering, so much hurt. So what do we do? We deny him altogether. There is no God and there is no answer to all the pain and all the sorrow and all the hurt in the world. There's no answer. It's just part of being human. You just deal with it. Most people don't generally take this route. Most people take the next route. Let's keep reading. Ecclesiastes 4, starting in 7. I observe yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case, listen to this, this is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is also meaningless and depressing. Here's what he's saying. God, there's so much sorrow, there's so much hurt, there's so much pain in the world, but the truth is many people that you know have hurt you, many people that you know have taken advantage of you, many people that you know are going to do things that are going to wound your soul, and this is what Solomon is saying. Some of us deny Christ altogether, and then there's a more dangerous part. Here's what he's talking about. Some of us just put blinders on. Like, the default of the human heart is when you have something that you need to deal with, like there's deep pain in your heart, there's deep sorrow, there's deep regret, or there's sin that you're wrestling through and you don't know what to do. The default of the human heart is to do this, to put blinders on and to numb the situation, to turn the other way. 
So, so it's why in our culture it's so popular. It's why pain pills are so popular. Why? Because as soon as you begin to focus on this deep sorrow, this deep hurt that you've never really dealt with, you just take another pill or you just take another hit or whatever you do because it drowns out the reality of life. It's why in our day, in our age, addictions are, are so popular. Because of the fact, no matter what it is, it may be like addicted to just simply, and I'm not talking about drugs or alcohol, it may be simply like you're addicted to just sitting in front of the TV because you don't want to do anything because it numbs who you are and what you need to deal with. Or we bury ourselves in work or our hobbies. Instead of fighting through the pain, our default mode is to just simply numb it. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God has something so much better than you just denying him altogether or numbing out the pain. He has something so much greater for you than this. And this is Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. And so finally, Solomon goes on, like as we see in Ecclesiastes, he's going to go on these depressing rants. And you're just like, great, man, there's no hope for me. And then there's this gold nugget right here. He's going to give us a solution. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Says this, two people are better than one. Boom, we can end the sermon right there. Two people are better than one. Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. Listen to this someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. Pause right there. If you're a single guy, this does not mean what you think it means. Like, baby, that's Zach said, like, we lie together and keep warm. No, it's a totally different context, okay? But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. There are even, there's even better for a triple-braided cord. It is not easily broken. So here's the deal. It's extremely obvious that the world is filled with grief and sorrow and it's broken. And the only people that would say otherwise are probably in the nursery. Right? Like sorrow and pain for my one-year-old is my wife feeding him oatmeal and she takes a 30-second pee break. And he screams because it took 22 seconds to get a bite. And the only thing that he's thinking of, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so hungry. She's not going to feed me. She's not coming back. I'm going to die. That, that's all he can think of, right? That is sorrow for a child or, or, or a one-year-old. But the truth is many of us have felt real sorrow. Many of us have experienced death, divorce, regret, sinful things that we just can't seem to break free of. Many of us have experienced real pain in real hurt. Because life often throws these bumps in the road that shake your world. Like, as long as I am pastor here, and I've said this a zillion times, I'm going to continue to say it. There is going to be a day where each and every one of you in here, myself included, I'm not exempt from this, where you get a phone call and it changes your life. It changes your life. I was on my way back from Lafayette this week. Um, and I'm coming back and I'm about in rain. And right in front of me, like 
They have a car cross the median, spin out of control, knock some other cars over here, and all these cars pile up. I'm slamming on my brakes. I see this, I'm not kidding you, I see this lady fly out of the door and land in the median. Listen, two seconds later, my life would have been completely different. Two seconds later. All of us love to live in this false reality that it will never happen to me. All of us are one phone call away from our world being shaken. And if we're not grounded in Christ, in around people, like two are better than one. People that can support us and love us. And I'm not talking about somebody that's, man, I've had this buddy, he's been with me since high school. I'm talking about people that genuinely love you enough to tell you when things are wrong and off in your soul. We're all one phone call away from our world being shaken. So in the middle of this text, in the middle of all of Solomon having these questions with God, why pain, why sorrow? He goes, okay, I get it. I get it. Two are better than one. And basically what he's saying is we desperately need each other with Christ as the center. We desperately need each other more than we think we do. Because to be honest with you, many times things are just too heavy to carry on your own too heavy to carry on your own. Let me give you a quick example. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, well, about three years ago, I had this plumbing issue at my house. And so I called this plumber out, and he was out there for like 20 minutes, which felt like 20 seconds, and he fixes the problem with like a $400 bill later. I'm like, 20 minutes, are you, okay, something does not add up here. So I said, if this ever happens to me again, I'm, I'm fixing it myself. Like, I don't care. Like, if I have to, I'll screw up everything under my house to fix this. I don't want to pay $400 for a guy to come out there for 20 minutes. So, a few weeks ago, same problem happened. So, I go to Stein's and I rent out this snake. Anybody know what that is? Like, the nasty snake, okay? And so, I rent this thing, and I get up, I show up to Stein's, and I rent the snake, and they help me load it up in my truck, and I go back home, and I realize, oh, shoot, i got to unload this by myself. And so, two things pop in my mind. One, I can ask my pregnant wife to help me. <laughs> not going to happen. One, even if she wasn't pregnant, she's not going to touch a poo snake. Um, <laughs> two, I can swallow my pride, walk across my driveway, and ask my neighbor, hey, bro, can you, can you help me unload this thing out of my truck? Or a third option, I can try to impress my six-year-old. Like, son, you know, dad's about to show you some lessons on it doing stuff on your own. So I remember I get this thing, and I'm getting it out of the truck, and I'm like, ah! and Eli's like, oh, Dad, is that all your strength? I'm like, shut up, son. I get, I get it out, and I get it down, and I remember just wrenching my back. But I can't show my six-year-old. He's like, is that all your strength? I'm like, yes, go inside to your mother, and why ice my back. And then a few days ago, called some guys here in the church. My mom called me and she said, hey, um, your dad and I are getting this new mattress. We hate, uh, they got this Tempur-Pedic mattress that they slept on for like a few weeks and they don't like it. They don't want to give it another shot. So they're getting a new one. They're like, do you want one? I'm like, yes, I've had the same crappy mattress for about seven years. I'll take it. So she calls me and she says, hey, listen, you're going to need a bunch of guys to move it because it's really dense. It's really heavy. And uh, so I call a few guys, I call David, and I call Austin here in the church, and we show up there, and I'm like, all right, I got, I got guys. 
And this mattress was like as light as a feather. Okay, so we're carrying it down. I'm like, Mom, I need five guys. Are you serious? So like, I have a few guys show up. I'm like, man, thanks for coming. Thanks for helping. Wasn't that heavy. But the truth is, I, there's no way I could have got that mattress out on my own. I needed somebody else to help me carry it out. And it, what's, the, what's the moral of these petty stories? I can strain and I can do all these things to try to work it out in my life on my own. But the truth is, all I'm doing is hurting myself. Life is so much easier when I have other people to rely on to help me carry my burdens. Because here's the deal. Have you ever tried to heal the deep, insecure wounds in your own heart? You ever tried to do it on your own? You ever tried, you ever prayed that prayer like, God, just meet God, take this away from me. And you go down the road of like, okay, God, it just needs to be between me and you because if I, I share it with anybody else, they're going to think I'm crazy. <coughs> or do you know that part of you in your heart that just continually seems to misfire? That part of you that keeps leading you back to the same old crap over and over and over and over. And no matter what you do, you seem like you just can't break free. And there's something in you that desperately wants to be free of this addiction, this sin, this way of thinking. Or this sorrow that you have. And no matter how hard you try, you cannot do it on your own. Life is weighty, unbearable, and hopefully you have people that come alongside of you to help you carry the burden. Listen, this is why this church is so important for many of you. Listen, it's not because we're the greatest thing in town. Like, I want you to understand that church and relationships is so much more than just coming and you guys listening to a sermon and worshiping and all that kind of stuff. That's great things. But there's weightier issues to be resolved. And for some of us, it's going to take us going out on a limb, getting to know other people in here that love and serve Jesus. And building friendships and connections with those people, joining a life group, getting involved in those things, and starting to deal with the weightier issues of life pain and sorrow and hurt. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. Here's the thing. The thing about blind spots is you can't see them. They're called blind spots, right? For a reason. If you can't see where you're weak and prone to fall, how are you going to keep yourself from falling? How? How are you going to keep yourself from falling? You need godly men and women to walk up to you and say things like this. And this is the weighty part. Hey, listen, I've known you for a while. And there's just things about your heart and things about your soul that make me nervous. Listen, we need friends and we need spiritual family. People that love Jesus. I'm not talking about somebody that you have coffee with and gossip with. People that genuinely love Jesus that can come up to you and say, listen, because I love you, I'm about to tell you something that's going to hurt you. And the truth is, many of us don't like friends like that. Right? 
We like friends that make us feel good and tell us nice things, and I like your hair, and I like all that. All that. We like people like that. But we also need people in our lives that just say, hey, man, you're going down a dangerous road, and if you keep continuing to go down that, I'm really scared for you. I'm scared that it might damage your heart and your soul and your love and your passion for Jesus. I find few people actually have friends like that. The kind that love and confront. But Solomon also says two people lying close together can keep each other warm. How can you be warm alone? You know, I don't know if you know this, there's this thing called winter. We don't really know what it is in Louisiana. It comes maybe two days a year. There's this thing called winter. Cold. Snow. About four years ago, I was working for the Outdoor Channel, traveling, filming, all that fun kind of stuff. And I'd been in Wyoming for two weeks, filming, uh, elk hunting. And I fly back to Louisiana, I get off the plane, and uh, I get a phone call from my boss. He says, hey, listen, man, I need you to come back right now. I'm like, are you kidding me? I just landed. He said, yeah, just take some time, wash your clothes, I already scheduled your flight, you'll be on the next flight in about six hours. Okay, great. So I called him back up and I said, hey, listen, okay, I'm getting everything ready. I'm trying to pack. What's the weather supposed to be like? And he says, listen, it's supposed to be great. Um, it's not going to be that cold. Maybe pack a jacket, stuff like that. And I asked him, do I need waterproof boots? No, you do not need waterproof boots. All right, great. So I put my hiking boots on. And I fly back. And I get there. And I get off the plane. And I step down. I'm like, wow, it's a lot colder than I remembered. Next morning, I wake up, and there is snow everywhere. And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to suck. So I put all my clothes on and put my boots on. And the thing about it is, in Wyoming, the snow, it was a certain part of the year where it's not going to stick, and it's not going to stay on the ground that long. Because as soon as that sun, co sun comes out, it's going to melt. And so we're walking around up and down the mountains, and I start noticing I don't have the right shoes on, and my feet start getting wet. And really cold. And you're in this environment where you're filming and you're the only guy that has a camera. You can't just go, hey man, listen, my feet hurt. We gotta stop. And it's just one of the things you don't do. So we keep going, we keep trudging through. About an hour in, like my feet really start hurting. Two hours in, they really start hurting. Three hours in, I can barely feel them. Four hours later, I can't walk. So I finally get up to him, I'm like, listen, man, I literally, I don't know what's going on. My feet are swelling. I take my boots off, and I've got, they're like turning white. And so Mr. Bill, my boss at the time, literally picks me up, puts me on the four-wheeler, and drives me back to the cabin. And I was out the whole next day. I had to, like, my feet were so swollen, and I was probably this close from hypothermia. Now, let me tell you how that story would have been completely different if I didn't have people around me. Many days in Wyoming when I was out there filming, there were days when I filmed by myself, just scenic things, which was a, a common occurrence without anybody around. If that would have been me by myself without anybody, I probably would have lost a few toes. I probably would have lost a few toes, and I had to get somebody, carry me out, put me on a four-wheeler, and drive me back to the cabin. And here's the deal. That is many of us. We're in this winter, we're in this pain, we're in this sorrow, and we're by ourselves. And we are just begging for somebody to come along and rescue us and save us.
for many of us, we don't have somebody to, to scoop us out and bring us to a place that we need to be. Listen, winter comes for us all and it's going to get cold and being truly known by others is what's going to keep you warm. Being truly vulnerable and open with other people that love Jesus and are committed to Jesus is going to make all the difference in your life. So here's the question. Why do so many believers struggle with deep spiritual walks with other believers? And Solomon has actually already answered this question. He's going to give us four things that ultimately derail us from true, meaningful relationships. Number one is this. Envy or jealousy will always derail your chances of deep relationships. He says this in Ecclesiastes 4.4, which we already read. He says, Then I observe that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. Let me give you an example of this. Like, have you ever found somebody in your life who is succeeding and you're not? Instead of celebrating with them, you tear them down? Like when somebody else got that promotion and you really wanted it and you didn't get it, instead of celebrating and being happy with them, you're, you're, you're making up every reason why they shouldn't have got it and you should have. Well, I mean, the only reason, I mean, the only reason they got it is because, you know, they cheat. They just cheat. Right? We don't celebrate with others. We tear them down. We envy them. We're jealous of them. Has somebody ever gotten on your nerves just because good came to them? Like, you don't even know why you don't like this person, but you simply just don't like them because maybe they're just good at things. And you're like, I don't like them. Why? I don't know. I just don't like them. Look at her hair. It's so perfect. I hate her. <laughs> right? But truthfully, Christ calls us to, to celebrate when others succeed, but it's hard when there's envy in our hearts. It's hard to have deep, meaningful relationships when we envy other people rather than celebrate with other people. Because the truth is, many of us celebrate when people fail. And we're sad when they succeed. If you're not willing to address the wickedness in your own heart, then your deep, meaningful relationships will always fail. And you might wake up one morning and go, man, why can't I have those friendships or those relationships that he's talking about? The first thing that you've got to check your heart is, are you envious or are you jealous of other people? And that is the barrier from going to where you need to be. Because the truth is, if you can't celebrate with other people, then what you have to do is you have to and that's exhausting, right? Like, pretending is exhausting. Like, when they celebrate, you're like, great, yeah, curse you. Right? <laughs> it gets tiring after a while when you have to pretend. Number two, the second thing that kills deep, meaningful, true, Christ-centered relationships is this. Laziness kills community. Laziness kills community. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 5 says this, Fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. Laziness kills community. Early on in my marriage, 
many of the frustrations that my wife had with me were due to laziness. Like a bill was late just because it's not that I didn't have the money to pay it. It's just like I didn't set it, I didn't schedule it, and I just forgot about it. I was lazy about being proactive. I got lazy. I got comfortable in certain things. And what I noticed in the first two years is because of my laziness, what it did is it broke intimacy between me and my wife. It broke us really being able to connect and, and then learn to share our lives together with one another because there was things that she felt like she was having to pick up my slack to do. And the truth is, intimacy requires work. Like if you want to have a real, meaningful, deep, genuine marriage, what does it require? Work. I think people sadly genuinely believe like we get married and bam, it's just, it's great, it's awesome. He's going to love me forever. She's going to just love me forever. And the truth is, any good, meaningful, lasting relationship requires a lot of work. And what I find in many of us, including myself at times, that the reason that we don't have deep, meaningful relationships is because we draw back and we pull back and we don't want to put the time into them. Maybe we're scared. Maybe we're scared because we've gotten hurt before or we've been vulnerable before. And we think if we do that again, then, man, they'll think this of me or, or whatever. We're scared of wounds. The truth is lazy people don't know true community. Why? This may sound harsh, but it's the truth. They're life-sucking human beings that require other people to feed them. Word. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right? And here's why. They don't want to do anything on their own. They want you to feed them. They want you to feed them. And then what eventually happens? What happens? People leave them. Because they're going, bro, you're just sucking the life out. You're sucking the life out. So here's the thing that we've got to evaluate in our own heart. Number one, envy derails our relationships. Two, laziness kills them. We can't have true, meaningful relationships. And let me say this. If you are that person in here, you're like, oh, shoot, I better hide. If you are that person in here, let me just be honest with you. It's not to condemn you. This is to let you know, hey, whatever it is that you're doing right now, now is the opportunity to make it right. And for you other people that are in relationships with lazy people, give them grace. And sometimes here's what it takes. Sometimes here's what it takes. You just being honest with them and saying, listen, bro, I know we're great friends. And if we're great friends, then I can be just honest with you. You're lazy. And the reason that we don't have the friendship like you want is because you're lazy. You probably shouldn't say it like that, but I would give a little bit more thought to it. Intimacy requires work. He's saying if all you do is fold your hands and hope to have real relationships, then that's a joke. My dad says this all the time, like, you want to make friends, just be friendly. You want real relationships, then put the work in. They don't just come to you. And this is especially in the younger generation. That I, I think they have a really hard time explaining this. People in my generation, 
don't understand. They think they can come in here in church and they're just hoping, I'll just find community. People will just love me and we'll just be best friends forever. It doesn't work like that. Like, if you want to be truly known by other people and have real relationships, you have to put in work. You have to take the first step and go, hey, listen, I've only met you a few times. Let's go to lunch. Or, hey, you want to come over to my house? Let's eat dinner. And maybe real quickly you find, like, okay, yes, this relationship probably won't work. But then other times you find, like, man, thank God for placing these people in my life. Number three, the things that ki- that one of the things that kills true intimate relationships is this. Dissatisfaction wreaks havoc on true relationships. Ecclesiastes says this, verse 6, better to have one handful with questions than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. So here's what he's saying. Envy derails the relationships, kills community, and it causes distraction. Many of us, our heads are in tomorrow, not today. We're distracted. When this happens, our way of thinking starts to be this. Hey, when I get this done, when this occurs, when this stops, or when this quits being an issue, then I'll be happy. And so people are trying to love you and serve you and trying to be friends with you, but the thing is, is you're always dissatisfied. You can't enjoy today because all you're thinking about is this future version of you. Like, your head is always in tomorrow and when you're always in tomorrow you miss out on the beauty of today and you miss out on the people that are trying to love you and come alongside you and carry your burdens today I hurt so badly for some of you that are stuck in tomorrow we, we genuinely believe like man when I can get this right when I can accomplish this when I can have success in this, then I'll be what I really need to be. Can I tell you the truth? Jesus loves you right now. The version of you right now. Not some future version that you can make yourself better five years from now. He loves you right now. And oftentimes the greatest thing that I have seen in the most genuine friendships, if you're just real and honest with people, that means more to them than you hiding and faking. Like many of us think, oh, if I just hide myself and these people will really know me and they'll probably leave me. The truth is that they'll probably draw closer to you. Because now they go, hey man, this person's willing to be vulnerable, this person's willing to be open. They're not hiding anything from me. We truly know each other. Pastor Josh is our campus pastor in Jennings. He's my best friend. He can tell you the darkest parts of my soul. Outside of my wife and my dad, he knows me the best. He knows me the best. And can I tell you something? That relationship that him and I had, have now took so much work. I've, I've talked about this early on. My dad, Pastor Josh, was one of the first hires that we ever had at the church. He was the first hire. And for about seven, eight years, I couldn't stand him. Couldn't stand him. And over time, through our relationship, God began to pull things out of me. God began to pull things out of him. We start working at it. We have our bouts where we're yelling at each other and we don't like each other. And it seemed like every time we would just get frustrated and yell at each other, we just got closer. (laughs) It was weird. 
But you know what was really going on? What was going on beneath the surface as we were allowing each other to be fully known. And in that, he saw why, hey, why I'm saying the things that I'm saying or why I'm coming across the way that I'm coming across. And I saw why he would say hurtful, wonderful things. Because we truly begin to become fully known to one another. And it's important for us to realize that Jesus has unbelievable good for you right now, not tomorrow. Like, he'll love you tomorrow, and he'll love you five years from now. But he also loves you where you're at right now, even in the mess and the stickiness and the grossness and all the things that you're dealing with. He loves you right now. Number four, the last thing that kills genuine relationships, work kills genuine unity. Work. Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 8. I know some of you are going, like, what work? I have to do that. I understand. Here's what he's saying. I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is a case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? Here's what he's saying. He's not saying, men, don't work. Please work. If God's given you the ability to build good businesses and, and raise up leaders, like by all means do that. He's not saying, hey, don't make a lot of money. That's sinful. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this. If you're putting in so much time and so much effort so you can get that promotion, so you can move on, so you can be in a better social status to attain possessions and things, and you're losing out on time with your wife and time with your kids, and time with your friends. He said all those possessions, one day they'll lose their luster. They'll lose the joy that they once brought you temporarily. And many, the reason many of us don't have genuine community is because we're working to acquire stuff, and we put stuff over people. We put stuff over people. There's only a few lasting things in my life. Jesus, my family, and my friends. Those are really the only things that matter. And the truth is, let me say this. Having a daughter, um, one, has changed a lot about me. Because I've seen, and it's changed a lot about my wife and I. Because I'm going, wow, like all women are actually emotional. It happens to all of them. Like I just thought it was you. Um, Seeing this, though, and the one thing that I notice is the thing that speaks volumes to my daughter is not what I can provide or not what I can give her. But it's me. It's what I can speak over to her. It's what I can say about her. I noticed it quickly a few days ago. Amelia has this insane... <laughs> thing for just, she is the most girly girl. People always say, oh, she's going to be tomboy. She's surrounded by, by boys. And it's so far from the case. She wakes, I think she dreams about painting her fingernails and putting on dresses and makeup. And I made the huge mistake of getting her lip gloss and she puts it on all the time. And as soon as she get out, gets out of bed, I kid you not, She's asking to take her pajamas off and put a dress on. And she will bawl her eyes out if she can't put a princess dress on. So the other day, I said, you know what, I'm going I'm to say something to her and see if my words can impact her. 
So she gets out of bed and she's like, Dad, I want a princess dress. I don't, she, she wants, she's trying to pull her jammies off. And I said, hey, Daddy loves your jammies. I think you look pretty in them. And she goes, okay, don't take them off. And she runs off. <laughs> and I'm like, man, your words to your kids, to your wife, mean so much more than what you can provide for them. And the reason that many of us don't have true, genuine relationships and true, genuine intimacy with other friends is because we're working so hard to acquire stuff that's one day going to burn up and doesn't even matter. And the greatest asset that you have in the kingdom of God, outside of your salvation and your story, is the people you're sitting next to. It's the people you're sitting next to. So here's the question. How, how do we have genuine community? How, how do we have genuine relationships? The truth is this. You're sitting in this room for a reason. I am a firm believer that God does not allow things to happen just by chance. If you are here for a purpose, you are here for a reason. If you're here for a purpose and you're here for a reason, then I want to let you know this. One of the greatest things that we do here in this church is life groups. And one of the greatest ways that you can be known and truly known by other people is getting involved in life. Because here's the, here's the truth. It's so much different than a Sunday setting that you can sit down in somebody's house and eat a meal and share your heart and be truly known with other people. The people that I've seen grow the most in this room are the people that have been deeply vulnerable. And just going, you know what? Two are better than one. I need people. And it may be painful and it may be nerve-wracking and it may be Embarrassing, and it may be shameful to sit down with somebody else, but you know what? I need it. Last thing, and I'll close. We are a family, and it's time for us to start acting like one. This is so much more than a building. This is so much more than you coming because of preferences. Like, hey, I like the music here, or I like the way he does this, or what, look, Beyond all of that. The only thing I care about, the only thing that Jesus cares about is your heart. And there's so much freedom and there's so much peace when you surrender your life to Jesus and then you get around other people that passionately love Jesus. It's the greatest thing in the world. And this goes all the way back to when Jesus created the earth. He even says it himself. Hey, listen, man's not good by himself. I need to create somebody else for him. We're not good on our own. Two are better than one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for drawing and bringing people here. God, we know that they're not here by accident. God, we know they're here for a purpose. They're here for a reason. God, I pray for the person in here that does not know you, for the skeptic. God, maybe you're just asking questions. God, I pray that even now that you begin to speak to them. God, I pray for those that are dealing with deep sorrow, deep pain, deep hurt. God, that you would give them the boldness that they need to begin to seek out others, to help them begin to heal those wounds 
Jesus' name.